This is the Foxhole Podcast. My next guest is a father of three amazing boys and a husband of 31 years. He is retired Navy veteran with multiple combat tours in the Middle East. He spent eight of those years serving with the U.S. Marines as an FMF corpsman, that's Fleet Marine Force, and seven as a senior assault squadron medic at Naval Special Warfare Development Group, a.k.a. DEVGRU, that's Navy SEALs, for those of you who are wondering. He's triumphed over severe PTSD and crippling anxiety. Because of this, his current passions involve helping veterans, first responders, and men that are struggling to thrive. He is the co-founder of First Care Provider, a nonprofit organization dedicated to teaching life-saving skills learned in combat to everyday citizens. He's worked with corporate partners, Fortune 500 companies, military agencies, universities, federal, state, and local law enforcement, the Department of State, the Central Intelligence Agency, and everything in between. And you can probably factor in that everything in between is everything in between. Give it up for none other than Bill Harris. Hey, uh, well, thanks for coming on the Foxhole Podcast, Bill. It's a it's a pleasure uh, for me to have you on on here. Um, and to give the the listeners a little bit of background, um, you and I met at a at a place called Warrior Path. Uh, it's put on by Boulder Crest Foundation. Just an outstanding training uh, that they do. They've sort of short circuited the traditional ways of of uh, of training uh, veterans, and it's all founded on yes, it's all founded on this notion of post traumatic growth. And that's really rooted in a lot of uh, philosophies, one core one being a Viktor Frankl philosophy. And so I, I wanted to, today to talk to you about some of the things that we learn there um, and, and then what you're doing with those things in your, your life. Um, and, and then I really wanted to kind of hit on something that you're doing that I think is really outstanding through the Man Up Project. And you just had a really big uh, weekend this past weekend, I think. Uh, you put on a, a man camp. And uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about what that is, and then we'll get into the Warrior Path stuff here in a bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. Um, we we did meet at Warrior Path, and it was a, uh, you know, for me, a life-changing experience. And I, yeah, I'm i not only thankful um, to have had the opportunity to have attended, and that's only because a lot of people who cared put a lot of care into the program, uh, but also because people donated, right? We were sponsored to go there. It was completely cost-free, Um so other than our families being willing to let us go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to cross paths with you. You made my my transition into the post-traumatic growth. Uh, you made it a, a lot easier than it would have been or could have been had you have not uh, been there. So, um, yeah, I, um, you know, the post-traumatic growth concept, which obviously we can delve into, is is really, in a nutshell, right, finding, finding some sanity or finding value in your struggle, realizing, changing the perspective, shifting your focus to see that the struggle that you're given, whatever that struggle is, can be a gift. And so the the man up thing started for me a couple of years ago. And honestly, it was just a private group on Facebook. And I wasn't good at journaling. I have very sloppy handwriting, which is probably why I'm in medicine. <laughs> um, and I would journal and then I'd look back and I couldn't even read my own handwriting. So, um, so I started a Facebook group and really more than anything, it was just a place for me to verbally spew what I was feeling, what I was going through. And I, and, and part of, you know, part of, I think the process, part of what started to come, become a little more clear to me was 
when you start operating with more vulnerability and more transparency, that sort of attracts different people or, or even attracts more people. Um, people can kind of sense that. And so a lot of the work on social media that I had done for the nonprofit, a lot of the marketing I'd done was more trying to bring business in. And that's a lot of work, right? People who do marketing, you know, God bless them. It's, 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 it's an effort. Um, but when I, when I started just spewing and sharing on social media for my benefit, it really started to attract people. And people really more than anything started saying, wow, I'm not the only one that feels way, mm -hmm. right? Thank you for saying that. And so, like I said, it started as a Facebook group with a handful of guys and it was primarily geared toward veterans and first responders because I, I, I work, that's primarily the work I've done in my life. And I believe there's a lot of crossover in our, our stories, right? While there are some differences, I think we have yeah. far more in common um, than we do apart. So I think we, we walk a lot of the same walk, right? We, we, we serve, we put others first, um, we sacrifice and we not so coincidentally have high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> right? and anxiety and alcoholism and all the other things that yes. uh, seem to be plaguing our, uh, you know, our, our, our peers. Um, so I, I started the thing, it was a Facebook group. And then within a matter of a couple of months, there were three, 400 guys in there. Um, and some share and some don't. Um, but it seems like when I'm not consistently posting there, right, either for whatever reason, more people reach out and say, Hey, what's going on? I, 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 I can't tell you what positive influence this is for me. So, yeah. you know, so I try to make a vow to be more consistent with it. Um, and then like you alluded to, we just had our first really significant event this past weekend, which is our man up camp. And we did wintertime camping up in Pennsylvania, up in the mountains in two feet of snow, you know, some free throw shooting contests and ax throwing and, you know, campfire conversations. But the context of it was to get men together, to get outdoors, to connect with nature and to throw axes and do men stuff, but really to get guys in a room and give them permission to tell their story. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, you know, part of, you know, as you alluded to what we did in Warrior Path, like the opportunity to connect with other warriors and know that our struggles are similar and that somebody's listening and that I can feel better through sharing and to kind of set up a safe space to do that. And that was really yeah. the intention. It was, it was awesome. It was inspiring. It was an opportunity to transform 11 lives. So. You said something interesting earlier about when you, when you first started posting on Facebook, it was, it was kind of one flavor, but then it became more authentic, right? Cause you were really just being vulnerable. And ultimately I think that's, that's kind of the venue that, that people need to feel safe. And they know, I mean, everyone, everyone's growing up in a marketing world, right? We watch commercials all the time. We know when it's authentic and not authentic. And we know when someone's trying to, to scam us, we just turn it off, right? And so when I think people really grow, it happened for me that I really started to grow when I started just being authentic with what, what it was that was on my mind and saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. Uh, and I failed at that and I failed badly. And it was really scary the first time I posted a video on on my Facebook page, and I just explained, hey, this is, I've had a bad relationship with my son, and this is what I was working. And a bunch of people hit me up privately and said, hey, keep doing that because I can't, I'm, I can't, I can't talk about it myself, but will you please keep doing it? <laughs> so there's a definitely a need for people to have that authenticity and transparency. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say for me, while I look back over the last couple of years, you know, coming out of the, 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 the struggle, like 
really rough patch of my life. I look back and I have some pride in where I'm at, but I'm also a little ashamed that I'm 51 years old and it took me maybe a lot longer than it should have to have grown yeah. up and gotten yeah. to this phase. Yeah. But, but what I hear in that when you say that is I operated for a good portion of my life from a standpoint of what I put out and what I shared was mainly done so that I, people would validate me or like me. Right. I want to feel liked. I want to feel validated as opposed to just being honest and sharing it for, for different reasons. Right. So not putting that filter up of, Hey, let me, let me view what I'm going to say. Let me run it through this, you know, through this self check first and see if this is okay. And how am I going to be judged by that? And I, and I think back now, even to high school or younger, when there were occasionally guys I would come across, right. I guess girls too, that, that you would come across and, Everyone liked them and you, and you looked at them and it was the one thing about them was like, they were, they were pretty humble and they just, they never really pretended to be anything other than what they were. They were like really comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And the rest of us just pretended to be comfortable <laughs> in their own skin. Right. right? I was a really good pretender. Like, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. I, I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of, you know, I was a more popular guy or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, I tended to attract people that would follow regardless of what my journey was. Um, and then when, when things really got bad for me, um, I started to realize I'm not somebody you should be following. Right. Like I, I, I'm not leading the right way. I'm not, I'm not headed. In, I don't, in fact, I don't even know what direction I'm headed in, you know, until I was able to turn things around a bit. So yeah, I think there's something, there's something really interesting when, when somebody's young and they just are naturally just comfortable within their own skin and they don't need to pretend to be anybody else in the world because they're happy with themselves. They can fill themselves up. They love themselves. And like that, people are really attracted to that. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't imagine my life like that. Right. When I was younger, cause it only takes one or two people to like you. And then you're kind of chasing that thing. Right. So you're always being what you think they want you to be. My son is very much like you described. He, my oldest son, he can just, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> he just is who he is. And uh, it is pretty he amazing. He doesn't care who cares about it. Yeah. He doesn't, right? And um, that's a good place to be. And I constantly remind myself of that when I'm watching my children do things. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not how I've done it. Well, how I did it, was it really that great? Probably wasn't that great. And what they're doing is, you know, a little more laid back and... Um, you know, they don't get as wound up on the, with the social side of things and they just kind of are who they are. And that there's something to be said about that for sure. And that's, I'm ashamed of myself place. that I've taken <laughs> 50, 51 and I'm in the same place, just figuring it out for myself. Yeah. And it's, you know what I mean? But I think the other part of that is like, everybody has their own journey, right? Everybody has their own story to tell and your circumstances are different than his. And you know, your trials and tribulations are different. Like, you, and for me, that's where the, the, the overlay or the component of faith factors in, right? Like starting to get comfortable with things aren't what they want them to be, but, but God has me right where I'm supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. This is where I'm supposed to be now. Uh, all of that for me this past weekend was a culmination of I was supposed to have gone through that in order to lead these men mm -hmm. through what we went yeah. through in that camp. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept, right? That all of these things that you are, we're supposed to be that way, right? Like, and and I, I honestly feel that way about, and you said it a little bit earlier, like meeting you at, at uh, Boulder Crest, like that was, that was, there couldn't have been a more perfect time for me to meet you uh, there. Cause that, I had been struggling with this podcast a little bit and I 
kind of had a vision of what I wanted it to do. And I'd only had a couple of interviews at that time. And, and, um, I was like actually mostly concerned about how it would come off. <laughs> how would, how would people see me? Right. And how would people from the, my work life see me and how would my neighbors see me and how would, you know, would I be seen in the same light? I was protecting this image. Right. And at Boulder Crest, they talk about that in terms of wearing a mask. Like we're all walking around wearing this mask and veterans do that all the time. Right. I was talking to Jimmy Orocho not long ago. I'm wearing my hat. I got my sunglasses on. I got my veteran shirt. And, and we sort of walk around with this, you know, don't talk to me because I'm a veteran. Um, and we just kind of shut off the world to ourselves and we're sort of lying to ourselves at the same time. Yeah. Not, not only are we doing that, but we seem to take pride in it, right? We want to <laughs> fuel by caffeine and hate dysfunctional veteran, all of that, you know, like, like, like self-alienating our group from everybody else. And it's almost, it's almost like it comes off with a little bit of elitism, right? Yes. Like where you could never understand us. You could, and, and I, and I'll tell you, like, like I said earlier, where initially my, my message and my groups were first responders and veterans. There were, there were guys this weekend that were there that were neither of those two mm -hmm. and it didn't matter mm -hmm. because what you start to understand is that especially as men, like our struggles are the same. You yes. don't have to have been overseas. You don't have to have been a first responder to have had trauma in your life. You don't have to have, have, have done any of those things to have potentially had parenting issues in your life or had stress or whatever it is. So, you know, the, it, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not easy to be a man today and to figure out what, what that really even means. Right. And that's not a problem that's exclusive to veteran communities or to, mm -hmm. To first responder communities, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's that idea um, that not just struggle, but trauma. You know, just because you didn't go into combat doesn't mean you haven't experienced trauma somewhere in your life. And probably, as we've learned in doing this work, that people have all kinds of trauma, and that leads them to a path of struggle, right? Um, and one concept that Viktor Frankl uh, brings up is that this idea that struggle is as much a part of human nature as death and if we go to our death with never having struggled it's like meaningless life right so it's the struggle that really brings meaning to to our lives and if for us to think that as veterans or first responders we're the only ones that have struggled it's sort of silly and foolish because yeah. i've met it, a ton it of people disingenuous. yeah it yeah. is and uh, you said it that alienating people uh, uh, you know we're you know as veterans we're operating back in a civilian world our world, it's our world, and it, we need to operate in, in that in that context, right? It is not a combat context. Yeah, and I, I look and I talk often about the transition process, like transitioning from the military. And for me, for many years, it was this thought process that we had to be reintegrated back into society, right? As if as if we were, uh, you know. Inmates and, and needing <laughs> parole, right? And You're in the three-step process. Yeah, and the, and the lens that I continued to view it from was, well, how do I need to operate to fit in within those confines? And I think what what finally occurred to me is, like, again, they're no different than us. Like, mm -hmm. like you, you shouldn't have to be any different. You should just be you. And, like, the fact that you're a veteran is just another part of it. Like, nobody comes to work and... And struggles to fit in in their work group because they're a Sagittarius or because they grew up in Michigan. Or, like, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, they don't, they don't yeah. consider themselves yes. different from the rest of the people for those reasons. Yes. And, you know, and so it was, it was interesting to, to, you know, to have kind of say, okay, well, like, I, 
I need to stop trying to change to fit in there and just be me and yeah. let let yeah. the principles and the, the values that I've gotten from the military, let let them look at me and go, wow, why is that guy a little different? Well, he's different because he went through those experiences and that's what he took from it. Mm-hmm. That's what made him him. Mm-hmm. Instead of pretending that I'm, I'm better than everybody else because I had those experiences. Yeah, you can't understand me. Yeah, you because, couldn't possibly. Yeah, right. That is, uh, that is such a... It's sort of a defeatist and escapist type of thought process um, when you when you go there, and uh, it, it is it is amazing. And th- well, that was the the, the genesis for m- almost this transformation for me in what I was trying to do with the podcast. And like, there are so many things that we've experienced as veterans that civilians experience that are just slightly off center. They're not exactly the same, but they're pretty similar. And wouldn't it be great if we could take the stories of veterans, whatever they happen to be, their story, and use that as a as a means to help non-veterans because it's the same, right? So the one thing that that is, I think, great about the veteran community is this sort of notion of dark humor and laughter and people just made being authentic when you're in that group of people, the people are authentic and they just say what it is and they say what's on their mind and it's okay. Um, there's a lot to be taken out of that to be shared with, with our, with our civilian, you know, families, um, to, so that they can grow. And it's interesting, right? Because especially on the medicine side, like some of that is a coping mechanism that we're taught, right? Like we're exposed yeah. to such things that are either horrific or you're not sure where to process that. So, dark humor is one way, right? Like this is, and anybody else from the outside viewing it is like, how can you, how can you say something like that? It's insensitive. And it's like, well, it's a coping mechanism I was taught, right? That's how I'm able to put this away and then go home and make pancakes for my kid after having seen (laughs) as horrific as, you know, a a double homicide or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever, you know, but that, that's a coping mechanism. And there are many coping mechanisms, which, which I think we are not only kind of, learned in ourselves, but also we're, we're done from a community standpoint. And, and part of, part of my journey, part of trying to figure out who I was when I was really my most lost point, what I realized is the only things that remain from my military career are the, are the, the negative habits and the bad coping skills. Hmm. A lot of the things that made me who I was, a lot of the core value things, I was very far removed from those. But all of the bad coping skills and all of the, the bad habits, those those were all still here, like in full bloom. You can see that. <laughs> those are key. You know, and I think it was yeah, and I think it was the like they talk about like when when you have values and you're willing to compromise them ever so slightly, right? Like mm-hmm. like the first piece of bubblegum you steal is a big deal, but, but by the time you do it a tenth time, it's pretty easy. Yeah. And it was for me, I I think when I started to realize how far off course I was and I started to try to figure out why, it it was the same kind of the best analogy I can use is when they talk about going to warrior path, we kept thinking it would be one cataclysmic event that led to the PTSD. Mm. And instead it was a life of micro traumas, right? They called it a million paper cuts over time. Yeah. And for me, it was the same thing. What's the one thing I did where I veered so far off of, of of my moral compass. And for me, it wasn't, it was just lots of small little things, Mm -hmm. right? That missing the piece of paper on, on the range from three feet away. Well, when you back that up over time, you're no longer even on paper anymore, much less shooting right. hole in hole. Right? Yeah, just so it being wasn't, off it was, compass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I heard you use that. Shooting an azimuth and walking a long yes. distance, and by the yeah. time you get where you think you were headed, you're not. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd heard you use that analogy before with a with a compass, right? That you, you know, go three feet, you're not so bad, but fifty one years, you look back and you're like, huh, <laughs> how did I end up here? This isn't anywhere near where I wanted to be. And I, and I think some of the one of the things we did this weekend, we did a an exercise called River of Life, and it's just artistically they're drawing this river that represents their life, but before they do that, they're just writing down memories and significant dates. And for a lot of guys, it's the first time, and they had said that, they're like, hey, I, thank you for making me do this because I hadn't thought about my first divorce. Or I'd put all this stuff away, I hadn't thought about whatever. And, and I think if you're really gonna start making existential change, you have to look at how did you become who you are, right? Mm -hmm. what, what led to this? What are the mm -hmm. events in your life that have shaped you? And, you know, and what are some of the things you maybe were taught that aren't true? Or what are some of the things that you convinced yourself that may not be true, right? But that, like, there's some significant value in taking time and making time to look back, right? The That Kierkegaard quote that I think we went through, right? Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. Right. Can somebody do kind of what you guys did on their own? Is there, do you have any pointers for them? Like, if, you know, if someone's listening to this and go, ah, that's a really good idea. I need to, because you kind of get a sense of these are the things that defined me, these moments. And, and that might even give you some insight into this is the reason I do this. It was because of this one event. Now I behave this way because of that event. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of takeaways or things you can do yourself, I'll tell you two that come to mind right away. One was, and I don't even know where I got it, but I started to incorporate it. Somebody was just talking about asking questions. And we ask a lot of questions, but we just generally ask them to make conversation. <laughs> And what they were trying to encourage you to do is ask the next question, right? Not, how you doing? I'm good. Okay, but no, but how you really doing? Or, right. or tell me more about that. And he went through this list of, like, what are some, some good questions to ask people? And the one that, that I took from that interview, and I, like I said, I don't even remember where I heard it, was what are three significant things in your life, three impactful, what are the three most impactful events in your life? Right? And I remember, hmm. you know, going to, to retreats or whatever it was, and where I knew I, I want to learn more about this person. And when I asked that question, that, that's a next level question. That requires them to think and reflect and really share at a level that's different than what you normally would, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's one, I think, right away. And the other thing that, that I think might be helpful is my son. I have, I have an oldest son who came on this retreat, and he came to support me and left very different, right? And I got a wonderful message from my daughter-in-law saying, hey, thanks for, thanks for having him. He, he came home lighter, and he, right, he came home mm. a different human being. And I can see that, and it's required that he go on any retreat you hold in the future. Right? <laughs> Mandatory. Our, our slogan was, men don't retreat, right? That was our, uh, <laughs> but they do surrender. Um, but so what was interesting to me, what, like the weekend itself was incredible, right? The little one-on-one -on -one conversations, but what's been great has been the follow-up conversations with these men, and one of the things my son said is his best friend, and I coached them both in, in Little League, they, they live next door to us, was his best man at his wedding. They've known each other for 20 years. He couldn't come because of family obligations. He immediately called my son when he was on his way home to pick his brain and say, hey, what happened? What was it about? And what my son said is, I know more about 10 other guys that I spent the weekend with than I do about you, and we've known each other for 20 years. Mm. That's a problem, That is a problem. right? And that, why, why is that the case? And, and together they said, okay, well, we need to figure out a way to intentionally have conversations that have more depth in it than other than how are you? Yeah, how are the kids? Yeah. How's work, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, we almost, 
innately, it's probably not the right word, but we, we operate on this edge of meaningfulness in most of our lives, right? We go around, you know a little bit about, you know, you know where they went to school, you know what kind of car they drive. But, you know, when someone says, how you doing? No, how are you really doing? <laughs> really yeah, to permission, really... Like permission to tell the truth. You almost yeah. have to give them. Yeah, I want and to he, know that. He's the type, like my son's personality, and I think a lot of us are that way, is he feels like it's my burden to carry and sharing that with somebody else is, is a way of offloading or dumping my problems on someone else. And what they're not seeing is that like, like that, I don't, now that I'm moving more toward the life coaching thing, they use it as the lamppost analogy. And what they say is if you want to be a life coach and somebody doesn't believe in the concept, just teach them the lamppost concept. And the lamppost concept is just go outside once a day and talk to the lamppost about your problems for five minutes. And inevitably you're going to feel better in two weeks, right? Or a week <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Uh -huh. They don't have, that lamppost doesn't have to have had any training. Like just in opening up and sharing, there's an enormous amount of growth and offloading, right? Like not so coincidentally, a lot of guys use that adjective lighter. I felt lighter. I left lighter. Mm. Nobody lost weight. We ate well. So <laughs> it was a different kind of lighter. Yeah. It's the weightiness of your shit, right? Your stuff that you're carrying around with you. Um, and it is, it is important to share. And I, I think it happens even in our families. We, we get so busy in our homes and we don't have that. We're not able to connect with our significant others in, in a way um, so, and I, I think it, it seems like what you, what you did at, um, at man, at, at man up camp was, um, provide that venue that people just knew I'm listening. Right. Cause some, I, I heard you say some people are like, well, I'm not going to share. So I'm going to have to listen. Oh, That's oh, the other. Every guy. I'm not typically a sharer. That's not what I'm uh -huh. here for. I'm just here for the camping. Uh -huh. You know, and those same guys, not so coincidentally, almost all uttered the words at some point throughout the weekend. I've never told anybody this. Right. right? So because powerful. it's something that it's something they've been carrying, right? It's something that they needed to get off of their chest. And and really, like you were saying, how do you how do you create that? You don't have to go to a camp for that. You just have to create a a place or a relationship where they know you're gonna be non-judgmental and they know you're gonna be empathetic and understanding and that you're gonna actually listen, right? Mm. For the purpose of really being present. So that brings up a concept we we talked about at Boulder Crest, this three to five this three to five concept. And that's something that could probably, you could start doing on your own. Right. Um, and that to, to kind of illuminate what that is there, they basically advocate finding three to five people that, you know, that helps you sharpen your iron, that holds you accountable, that, um, will listen to you and that you can kind of be in service of one another. Do you, um, yeah, that's, that's that old Jim Rome quote, right? You are the product of the five people you spend the most yeah, time with. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how, how to mathematically calibrate that. Like, like what if you're home raising small kids? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's the people that you're choosing to let in your inner circle that aren't automatically family, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or even coworkers, right? Like who are you choosing when yeah. there is downtime at work? Who are you choosing to go grab a beer with? Or who are you right. choosing to sit in the break room with? Or Well, that was something that was transformational, transformational for me was that I, you know, I typically just put everything on my shoulders and then I, I talk to the lamppost by, <laughs> by myself. I didn't really have people to talk to. And since Boulder Crest, I've really started to see the value in those kinds of conversations, right? And showing up once a week, ready to listen, showing up, ready to share. Uh, that has been super important for me uh, to do that. And then I've involved in some other groups with you where, we're, where we do that. And that, and that's, and that made me now, okay, I've identified five other guys 
on, in another part of my life that I'm going to do that with guys and gals. I'm just going to set up a phone call and we're going to have these kinds of, we're just not yeah. doing that enough. And it's an hour. It's an hour of your, of your time. It's not and like, I think it's, I think it's just the intentionality of it. Like there's, I tell people, they ask about the phone calls and I'll, I'll give more info later if somebody wants to get involved in our calls, but it's really just people know that there's an intentional reason we're getting, well, nobody's getting up at six in the morning to get on those calls to talk about the weather. Like you'll have plenty of opportunities to do that at the water cooler during the yeah. day. Like the purpose is to show up here and, and have a conversation where there's some meat on the bone, where there's some depth, right? And it's a great way for us to start the day or it motivates me to, hey, I, you know, like I, I would sleep in if I, if I didn't do this on the days where I had the option or I wouldn't, you know, and, and it just, it puts energy in my tank. It, it fuels me. And, and part of, like I said, part of what I feel like learning what your purpose is, is I, I could talk about this stuff all day long, right? Growth and human performance and, and development, like, because you and I kind of were on a similar path, right? We felt as though we had done a lot of the work ourselves to fix ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of podcasts, a lot of reading, a lot of self-exploration, a lot of all yeah, of those things. Self-questioning. Yeah. And, and, you know, you kind of get a degree in that. And so it's, it's, it's so meaningful and beneficial when you can shed light on that for somebody else. And, and really the art of doing that. Right. And, and we've talked about it with our kids. Like it's, it's learning to not just tell people, right. It's more either modeling it, right. Or mm -hmm. letting them discover it themselves with your simple little nudges. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, not trying to turn the entire cruise ship around on a dime. That's, that's probably not likely. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, Hey, maybe you should check behind that door. <laughs> you know, just, just take a peek there. We can't make you walk and, through and, it. And that is not like, there's so many things for me that that's not typically my personality. Yes. I'm not a, I'm not typically a subtle guy. I'm not a guy who typically waits for it to come. I'm, you know, I'm like, why are we all not going a thousand miles an hour yeah. in this direction? Yeah, that, I think that's a struggle for uh, for certain personality types, and I think you and I kind of share this that not not everybody is moving at our tempo or our pace, right? And and I think the groups are helpful for me for that too because it forces me to think about the whole. Here's the whole, and you know how am I going to take from the whole? How am I going to learn from all these people, and then share what I want to share in a way that that is it's the tempo of the group, not necessarily Gabe's speed. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes Gabe speed is not healthy. Yeah. Even though it's sometimes started, fast and efficient. You, yeah. Yep. And as you've said before, starting to at least start looking at it from more than just that five foot view, right? Starting to have a 500 foot or 5,000 foot view. And, and, and like you said, like before I put this out there, am I saying it to make myself feel better or is it beneficial to somebody? Is it right? Like, like looking at my behaviors or looking at what my actions are and realizing, is this for me or is this, yeah. You know, am I, am I in servitude of others? Am yeah. I, you know, am I a servant leader? Am I, you know, what, like, you know, and I, I remember having a conversation with the kids cause they're constantly, my boys fight nonstop and like to hear a kind word from one or the other, you know, that just doesn't happen. Like four, five years ago by, and finally we got to the point where like, don't even communicate with one another. Right. And I gave them this set of rules and I was like, well, oh, these are the rules from now on in terms of communication, unless you're delivering a message from me or from your mother to the other one don't communicate unless what you're going to say passes the three rules and it was like is it true is it kind and is it even necessary and if it's not any of those three things don't even bother telling him uh -huh. <laughs> because they, they they you know they just you know and and my wife's an only child she doesn't get it right she doesn't understand why they hit each other in the face with trucks and right uh, she, she's a 
she, she's not a boy. That's what boys. Right? She doesn't understand the physicality of boys. She yes. Understand. <laughs> you know, we which must is crush things. Yeah, and it it was a little bit of, of the, the the talk I gave this weekend on we're just wired differently, right? And and the way society currently is today, what we're telling boys is if they're aggressive, right? If they're physical, if they're any of those things that that the opposite of that is that, that is kindness like that that can't be parallel mm, with being right. kind yeah that's a very good point like right? if you want to be kind you can't be aggressive it's yeah best. you can't be aggressive yeah. or you can't be you know and like boys need to hit things boys need to get their yeah. energy out boys need to like and those are by the way the same boys we're looking for to serve and protect us yeah. in other ways right yeah. they're going to be expected at some point to wage war on behalf of our country or defend yeah. our nation or yeah. or be our police officers or whatever and like it flies in the face. I mean, I mean, biblically, it's riddled with strife and conflict and war and coming to the aid of others, right? So if you're going to have, and again, it, you know, not to get into the school system, but the anti-bullying, right? Like, is it really a poster that stops bullying or is it the one boy who's willing to put himself and step up and say, hey, this is not acceptable, right? And, and, and sacrifice or, you know, and, and potentially risk getting punched in the face mm-hmm. because it's the right thing to do. Right. Right. He sees some injustice or something happening, and yeah, yeah that comes at a cost, right? It, that's a that's the interesting piece about that too is that there's a cost to that. There's a cost to that when you're a kid. There's a cost to that when you're an adult. When you get into a workplace and you see that happening, um, and it's almost like we're not we're not teaching kids to understand what that cost is, right? Like, hey, there's a that's the right thing to do. What you did was the right thing to do and understand there's a little bit of a cost here. That's good. That, that may come from this, right? And, and prepare our children for that. We want them to be pacifists when it's convenient. Yeah. Right? And, and there's, there's a time and a place when they're going to need to stand up yes. and be counted. Yeah. Yeah. And our, on our basketball team, I, I tell them every practice, like, I don't, like, I want you to make mistakes as long as you're being aggressive. You're, you're, you're going out. Right. And, I expect you're going to stumble. I expect you're going to drop the ball. I expect all these things are going to happen. But you just, we need you to be aggressive. And it's okay to be aggressive. It's okay. You know, we, in basketball, you know, you get five fouls. And so at the end of each game, I go around to everyone, how many fouls did you have? <laughs> oh, you only had one foul? You left four here. Take, <laughs> don't, you can't take them home, right? Just use them all. Uh, and, but use them wisely. And here's, here, these are the circumstances that we want to, we want to use those, those things. Um, that, that's terrific. That That's great news. That And the other part of it for me was, like, I didn't really have that problem in my childhood, right? Like, I was I was allowed to hit things, and um, my, my takeaway from it was I was the product of a helicopter parent, right? My parents couldn't imagine. My mother couldn't fathom the thought of anything happening to us or getting hurt, right? And so the message was always, those other kids can play in the street and you can't. Those other kids can jump on a trampoline and you can't. Those other... You know what I mean? And it, and I remember always living in that like frustration of not being able to go do what they were doing. And what I've learned is well, all that did was send a message to me that I'm not capable of that. Right. Everybody That's else is capable of playing the street, but I can't handle that. Right. Like I, I which, you know, which is not so coincidentally probably why I rebelled and why I went and said, okay, well, I'm going to show you what I can do. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. You went to jump out of airplanes right? and do all kinds of stuff. Right. Like, yeah. Right? But I understand like her intent, right? Her intent was, I don't want my, my children to get hurt. Well, yeah. I don't want my children to get hurt either. But yeah. But if they don't fall down and ever scrape their knee or they don't ever develop any grit, yeah. 
Yeah. The world is a mean place, man. Yeah. Well, I had that conversation with my son today. He he hurt his knee and then hurt his wrist. And in the game, he hurt his wrist and he hurt his knee. I'm like, listen, that's you're playing basketball. That's great. Like, if you don't come out of a game without some bumps and bruises, um, you probably weren't playing the game. You were watching. And so you need to get in there and, you know, just, just be aggressive. That, uh, you know, I, I think that is is important for the thing that you said that we're just wired we're wired differently right and that that conjured up a memory of mine when you were talking about that that one of the first times I'd ever took my kids to the beach my two I we only had two at the time we were in Texas and there was like it was a pile of like brush that was like twigs and stuff that had washed up on the beach and we were the only ones out there and both the kids went running to this pile of twigs and my daughter grabbed a stick and started twirling around and you know like interpretive dance with this stick my son grabbed a stick and started beating other sticks <laughs> nobody taught him to beat sticks and he was shooting stuff it became a rifle and it became a bow and it became a spear and it, you know that that is uh, and it was just for me the first time i really kind of saw it and i'm like that just two different sets of wiring there completely yeah right like and and that, that's that's part of what you see when you watch it like a boy play right like like he goes through all of those phases that he's supposed to at some point in his life go through. He he becomes a warrior, right? He wants to fight. He becomes a king. He wants to lead. He's the king of his own little clubhouse, right? He, mm -hmm. you know, he wants to be a parent at some point, and then he wants to be a lover at some point and rescue the maiden, or you know, whatever it is. Like that's yeah. that's how boys think, right? That's their, like you said, it's innate wiring. It's not like you didn't have to teach him to hit the other sticks, right? Like that, like and some yeah. of that is that inward aggression. I've got to get this out. Like, yeah. We didn't see that until we started homeschooling. Um, and then my wife, after the first week, she's like, there's something seriously wrong with Kevin. Like, like he does two math problems and then he runs outside and jumps on the trampoline for nine minutes. And then he comes back and does two math problems. And I'm like, he's figured out that that's what works for him. Yeah. That probably wasn't yeah. allowed at school. Yeah, he couldn't do it. Bouncing off the walls of school. And I'm like, did he finish the math problems? Yes. Did he get them all correct? Yes. I'm like, well, then that's his way, yeah. you know? Yeah. But my wife, as a woman, is like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm like, it makes sense to me. Because <laughs> right. right? I was getting beaten because I couldn't sit in this chair. And if the desk moved at all and the legs of the desk weren't on the spray-painted spot, what's wrong with you? Why are you fidgeting? What? Mm -hmm. Here comes the I'm wooden like, spoon. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit about these. There's sort of four concepts that we pulled out of Boulder Crest, right, that they, they preach a lot of. Um, mind, body, finances, and, and spiritual. And I wonder if you would share... Like what are the, what are in those categories, what are the things that you're doing and what are the things that you're teaching in your, in your sort of life coaching, um, career with respect to those things? And just, just start with mind. Like what are, what are the kinds of things? And, and pretty much everything we've been talking about right now is mind, right? But do you have some m mental wellness practices that you're, that you're working on? Yeah, I think that they, uh, you know, the way that they kind of framed it for us was this wellness triangle, right? With us in the middle. Um, and I think, I think when I think of that, I knew I wasn't living a well-balanced life. In fact, when I would look for podcasts, that's what I would look at. And one of the first podcasts I came across was like balanced living or something. And mm -hmm. I think, I, I think what we kind of figure out is it's kind of a misnomer, right? Like you, you're never going to get all of these things to be perfectly in scale with one another. And, and sometimes you have to put more effort and energy into work, right? Or sometimes your family requires more effort and energy, and I think your job is to just sort of manage the books and say, okay, where, where is my attention and effort? Or maybe I have been neglecting this and I need to pour into this a little more. But um, yeah, the mind stuff, I think, I think the quote that really hit with me was, 
you know, and I don't even know where half the time we see these things. Sometimes they're just Facebook quotes or whatever, but it was, it was, if you're not willing to make time for wellness, then you better make time for illness. Mm. And, and when I, I remember seeing that and going like, well, maybe that's why, right. My life has become this shit show that it currently is. Right. And, and so for us, I know we've talked, one of the practices was the meditation practice, um, you know, doing TM, but it, it really didn't matter what meditation. I know a lot of people prefer to call it mindfulness because that sounds a little less Omi and Gustavo, oh, right? Hippie, right. Um, yeah, like if you're a man and you know, you know, you're like, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, not going to sit in the woods and talk to trees. Honestly, I have found myself that way when someone has asked me, like, what's going on with you? You seem different because I've been doing a lot of transcendental meditation, right? And uh, I'm like, well, you know, doing some mindfulness training. You know, I don't want to say meditation because that might seem weird. And then I'm like, what am I, what are you doing, right? Just tell them what you're doing. And if they don't want to listen to understand what it is, then it's okay. Yep. If they want to listen, then you tell them what it is. Yeah, and I, and I think, I think we understand. The other thing that I think shed light on it for me was kind of looking at the difference between relaxing versus restoring. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. like sitting and watching Netflix or doing some of the things that I would do that I wouldn't consider work. Like that wasn't it was off time, but that didn't restore me like it didn't it didn't build me back up. It didn't recharge my energy. It didn't refuel me the way that other things do, like going for a hike or being outside. Yeah. Or, and, and I don't think I put enough focus on that. Like what what do I need in order to be restored? Right? Because you only have a finite amount of energy and you're required, like I said, sometimes to report them into your spouse and into your kids and into your job or, in the, you know, and you know that you have people sometimes in your life that just leech energy from you. Right? You look right. at the phone and it's them and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you certainly want to not be that person when you're on somebody else's phone calling. Yeah. Right. right? I don't want to be calling them to deplete them of their energy. Yeah, right. Now, stable so don't... enough to you're giving energy. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to be the type of person that requires that energy from other people, right? Like I'm able to manifest it myself. And the way I do that is like you said, those wellness practices, that Mm -hmm. restoration, like what, what fills me back up. Right. And so meditating daily does that quiet time for me does that. Um, I know you've been very good with the journaling where I haven't. Um, And for me, the journaling more often than not is pressing live on the, on the video and Facebook and then just, yeah. ranting right hey that's an I'm interesting form of journaling share. right I, I think that's very similar and you're and I, I think it's actually more powerful in some ways right because not only you're putting your thoughts out there but you're putting them out there for other people to benefit from too and and then it's then that's creating a conversation I, I was sharing with someone recently that one of the most valuable things I have is a, is a 1967 journal from my grandfather and I read that all the time I'm like god I just didn't know this man this way right just and it, they're pretty simple things. His entries are pretty simple, but I see him in a completely different way. And I think when you do stuff like that, you're putting out the videos, people see you differently. Um, they, their perception of you is maybe slightly different. And then they start to see that authenticity too. And I think that's, that's really powerful. I, it's just powerful as journaling. If you ask me. I, and I, and I know that there's some benefit in writing, right? Because there's something about the process of it. There's something about, like even for me, I know that's the best way for me to study something. I read it, and when I write it, that's when I map it in my brain. So, yeah. so I know I probably need to do more of that. And I and I look back at the times in my life where I was doing it more consistently. It was probably when I was in combat and things were really bad, and I was like, I don't know that I'm going to survive this. Yes. I don't know that I'm going to come home. I yeah. found I was journaling a lot more then. It's like, funny, like, oh, I want to leave something for my family to read, what I was doing, yes. Exactly. Uh-huh. I have one of those that I read through I, every once in a while. 
I was just listening to Matthew McConaughey uh, on a podcast, and he was talking about his new book, that Green Lights book. Mm-hmm. And he said the book really was just a byproduct of him journaling since he's 16 years old. He started fishing them out and reading through them, and he's like, wow, there's a lot here, more than I had remembered, more than I had recalled. And I remember these phases of my life. And, you know, he said he took a bunch of them to the desert and wrote a book about it or whatever. So, but like you said, even if, if leaving it behind, and I, I've noticed there's a couple of journals now in the bookstore that are like, there are writing prompts for you. And essentially the purpose of that book is to leave it behind for your kids. Mm. And it's like, Hey, my dad, and I don't know the title exactly, but you'll find them if you go looking. It was like, you know, all about my dad. Right. And mm-hmm. it was like, what was it like when you were a kid? What, you know, yeah, I've seen those. Like, yeah, all, these, seen all these things that you may not share with them, or it would never yeah. occur to me to tell them what it was like to play stickball in the street. Like, yeah. They wouldn't know. <laughs> a dial phone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody posted that, saw that on Facebook today. My my kid just asked me, "What's a phone cord?" <laughs> That's a good question. good question. Come over here. Let me show you. Um, so I, that that was the mind you had asked about. I mean, I think the body's pretty self-explanatory. Well, right? let like, me let me stop the mind. Just pause right there, yeah. real quick, because something you know, we learned TM transcendental meditation at Boulder Crest. I was all in when I went there. I just said, "All right, if I'm here, I'm taking time to come here. I'm." I'm going to do everything to to the fullest and give everything a chance. And that surprised me. I'd, I'd been doing progressive muscle relaxation and visualization and other techniques that I learned in college and graduate school. I have a, a master's degree in applied human performance, sports psychology and exercise science. So I had a little bit of knowledge in that area already, and I'd been practicing it. But TM was different in in the methodology of how you 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 meditate. Uh, and so I got all geeked up when we came back, right? I'm like, I want to know what the science is behind this, what studies have been done. And you said the word restored, and that is what came up over and over again when I was doing my own research on transcendental meditation, that when you start to, and other forms of meditation are the same way, and I'm sure journaling is too, when you start to, you focus your mind in that way, and you start to clear your mind in that way, you go into a, an alpha, alpha brainwave. Uh, state and that's the same type of brainwave that happens when you start entering REM sleep, so it very it is very restorative uh, when you do that. So it's like okay, I need to take a little bit of time off to do this twenty minutes, but I might be getting I might be filling up that gas tank forty minutes or something. Maybe it's not in minutes, but it's intolerances or something, right? Um, I'm able to take on a little bit more of the barrage of life because I've done that here. And it for me, it's helpful at nighttime when I do it in the evening too because I. I just process everything a little bit more. And that's when I, that's when I do the majority of my journaling is sort of my closeout of the day. Um, and I, I've just found it extremely helpful. Uh, and I'd never journaled before. I tried a few times, like I said, and I have the, the that old, those old green military, you know, like little notebooks. Log books? Yeah. Log books. That's what I had. I had yeah. a couple of those. That's where I kept my journal. Where you cut a hole in it to stick the pen in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I and it, subsequently I'm like, man, I was a terrible, terrible handwriting. I struggled just to, you know, figure out what the heck I wrote half the time. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I gotta go below. And there's even the littler version though, with the flip over, you know, how it flips over the top. Yeah. yeah. I had a couple of those in yeah. the cargo pocket. Wow. And a good and a good sailor always has a pen, right? <laughs> Now you said it's funny when, when we talk about when I discuss the meditation with people, the two probably biggest things where they're like, Oh, I couldn't do that are number one, they, they don't have time. Right. And what you just said, right. Like giving up 20 minutes gives you 40 more minutes of energy, right? Like yeah, you it does. It, you know, like it's an investment in yourself. Um, or 
they can't fathom sitting quietly inside their own brain between here and here for 20 minutes. That's like crazy. that is more frightening to that, most people. That was, was that would, that would have definitely been frightening to me to think about like what 20 minutes, how am I going to, how am I going to do that? And it's amazing how quickly 20 minutes actually goes when you're, when you're meditating. But yeah, it just gives you the shield. <laughs> that was God. my biggest fear going to Boulder Crest because I was starting to feel a little bit better. And most of the prison for me was in my own mind, right? It was the anxiety and it was that, negative self-talk and that loop that I would get stuck in mm -hmm. and I was starting to feel better. And like, it was funny because other people, when they're going someplace, they're like, Oh, I'm going to have to meet other people. I'm like, that's, that's my wife. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I'll meet anybody. I don't Bring care. How you, yeah. I'm good with that. Like that was none of my anxiety. My anxiety was you're going to force me to sit down quietly and think, and I'm afraid of that. Right. Oh, because right. when I'm distracted, because one of the ways I was able to get past a lot yeah. of the anxiety myself mm -hmm. and that that probably was a band-aid right on an open wound mm -hmm. right and, and it, it bought me some time and it covered the wound and it was better than having it openly bleed but it wasn't a treatment right, right? it wasn't it wasn't a permanent fix and the meditation i think has, has been a way more therapeutic fix right and <clears throat> and like that distraction is different for everybody some people the distraction is alcohol some people the distraction is whatever you know going and doing Net something binge gambling, watching Netflix. Whatever. yeah whatever yeah. um yeah so that i think that's that's another reason that kind of practice is helpful because it it puts you it puts you in the present really uh, you were going to start to you started to mention body uh just yeah, I, I think the body part most of us know right like most of us are like you, even if you're not a fit human being if you're paying attention to any of what the world is saying and and how you're marketed to um you know between peloton commercials and yoga and whatever it is like like the P90X always was, I had done the P90X and it was always fascinating to me, like, like that it was this crazy scientific breakthrough. You're saying if I eat healthy and work out for 90 minutes a day, <laughs> I'll end up fit. <laughs> like a hit workout. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's not exactly a revelation. Uh -huh. right? so, the Marine Corps but, daily seven. Yeah. I, and for me, the, it's probably still the one I struggle the most with. And I think part of it is I, I, I don't gain a lot of weight. I mean, I gain a little, I got a little beer belly here, but for the most part, like I'm, I skipped three or four meals and, and PT for two weeks. I could probably squeeze back into my dress blues. Right. Like I don't, you know, like I don't, that's not, but it's not, doesn't mean I'm healthy. Right. Eating, eating poorly has, has yeah. a significant effect, right. Bad, bad garbage in garbage out. Um, but for me, I tend to be more mission driven. If I sign up for a marathon, then I'll stay on course and I'll do it. Like, mm. but just working out for the sake of saying fit, like it's not appealing to me. Like there's no destination in that. There's mm -hmm. no, like, and it's not, with all of these things, that's the one commonality we've learned. It's not supposed to be a destination. It's supposed yeah. to be a journey. Yeah. It's supposed to be, you that, do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to. That was exactly my dilemma. And that's probably the thing I struggled with the most too was uh, historically was the, was exercise and because, because I was exercising so much at one point when I started getting ill, I kind of developed this mindset. Well, if I can't, if I can't go for a 10 mile run and jump on my bike for five hours, what's the point? I'm not going to be, you know, and I, I just, I'm not going to get anything out of 10 minutes worth. Yeah. Or I mean, how foolish it would be to go run just a mile or, you know, go hike somewhere. Um, and it, it wasn't, it, it's been in the last two or three years that I've really just started to take on this idea of hiking and rucking and then incorporating that with mindfulness, uh, training that I'm, I'm mindful of what I'm doing when I'm out there, I'm appreciating where I'm at. And that, uh, that is, that seems to be good for me. And then I throw basketball in there every once in a while with the, with the kids, right? I get a, they definitely run me. 
<laughs> my heart rate is much higher in those intervals. And I'll tell you what, what's most surprising to me is the fitness, the change in my approach toward fitness, what sparked that more than anything, honestly, again, for me was faith, oddly enough, hmm. right? When somebody explained it to me as you're not shepherding the body that God gave you. Oh, right. I was like, wow, that's a whole different angle on it, yeah. right? Now it's just yeah. not, I'm not competing to win the race. I'm not, you know, I was like, wow, that's like, I'm not, I'm not taking care of what, yeah. what, what's been on loan to me. I'm yeah. like, that's a very different connotation, <laughs> right? That, I looked at that from a different angle and that, that, that to me was helpful. Like that, that put a little more wind in my sails and got me, okay, like, and, and the other part for me is if you want to be out in front, right? If you want to coach or if you want to be, for me in, in, in a leadership-esque position, well, then you, you have to be, you have to, you have to say, you know, I think, I don't know if it's still back there. For a long time, it said back there at one point, like, what would a coach do? I'm like, if you want to start being a coach, you have to do what, a, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have to walk the talk. I have yeah. to do what I'm yeah. encouraging other people to do. You have to, to live it. Yeah, for sure. Or else you're a hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to teach anybody anything if you're not living it or haven't lived it. And it's probably the same arguments, right? Like, I don't have time to work out. I don't like, no, you're just not willing to make time, right? And I think with the TM, we had looked at it like it's a non-negotiable. Like it turns me into a human being that's a better human being for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So that 20 minutes is non-negotiable. Like it has to happen at some point. Now, some of those sessions have happened at 1130 at night, and, <laughs> yeah. right? Before I go to bed or whatever, I've but hey, I've got yeah. I've had them right at midnight. <laughs> it's technically the next day, but I like, yeah, I'm getting it done. Yeah, I'm going to honor my commitment, right? Uh -huh. Like, And I've caught myself at times, right? Like saying, oh, I have to go do TM. I'm like, no, I don't have to. I get to. Yeah, I get to. Right? Yeah. Like the difference in how I'm viewing it, the difference in how I'm speaking it. Like, it's a privilege to get to do that. My sister-in-law was over uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was meditating in the living room because all her kids were sleeping in the basement, which is where I usually come to meditate. And so I grabbed some coffee and she gets it pretty early. I was the first one out, but she, I could hear her walk up and I'm like, Hey, I just stopped. Like, Hey, I'm met, I'm meditating. So don't feel like you're, you know, you need to be quiet. I'm not sleeping whatever. Do you want to meditate with me? <laughs> and so she's like, sure. So I'm like, well, you know, I did a quick do it yourself type of thing with her and said, you know, this is what you can do. And, and uh, that was pretty rewarding. Cause then we're both meditating. And then the kids started making their way up, you know, a couple minutes later, but, um, but I, I haven't been able to get my family involved in in that practice yet, and I, I'm really wanting to. But um, but I think there's some something to be said about that that sort of group um, meditation or group sort of mindfulness that there's some there's some value there. Yeah, I, I like I said, even I'd love to have my family do it. But if I can just get my kids to put their phone down for 20 minutes or to sit quietly with their thoughts for 20 minutes, uh, that alone you know, it would be worth its weight in gold to me, right? Because I know the world is coming at them at a million miles an hour and they're constantly yeah. being marketed to and everything's vying for their attention. Um, and I think, like, especially if they can get to the point where they see it as restoration, they see it as an investment in themselves and and they have the discipline to say, you know what, I'm just going to turn it all off for a few minutes and and invest in me. That, that, that would be a huge win. Um, but I... But I, I've learned I can't force them to do that, right? I just have to keep doing it, and they have to at some point see the change or go, hey, things aren't working. Like, like you had said, you went to Boulder Crest with a very open mind. And I think most of us did because we felt like we were broken. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to go there and not do what they're saying. Yeah, with your you arms folded, right? 
you know, and they kind of, they kind of led with that. Like, Hey, how's, you know, you've been doing it your way. How's that working out for yeah, you? Yeah. How's right? that working? <laughs> yeah. So, so it kind of puts them in a little bit of a, an advantageous position. And I think we could do that with our families too. If we wait until they come to us instead of us nudge, keep pushing them in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it doesn't mean don't invite them, I guess. Right. Is there anything like other tips that you have that, that things that went on at the, at the man up uh, camp that, takeaways that, that people could start using themselves besides huh, that sort of river of life thing. Yeah. I think the big one is just, and I think we had discovered it and it was, it's also not so coincidentally part of the warrior path curriculum is get outside, right? Quite a few of the guys in my network are doing the 75 hard challenge right now. Yeah. And it's too, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things that they have to do every day. And if they fail in any of them, go back to start at the integrity go, check, yeah. go back to day one. Yeah. But one of those things is a 45 minute workout that's outdoors. And I, and I could just be a walk, but I think there's something about being outside that changes things. There's something about changing your state. There's something about being in nature. There's something about, and it's the same. We talk about gratitude, right? Like if you're, if you're living in a moment where you're being grateful for what you have, it's tough for depression and other things to peacefully coexist with Mm -hmm. that. Like like you can in one vein be like, I'm so thankful to have my beautiful children and then still be upset about the fact that their room is a mess. Like, like they don't. (laughs) And I think when you're, when you get outside and you start looking around and you start just seeing the beauty of what's, what's out there. Like, I think it definitely changes you. So I think that's, that's an easy one. Um, And, and that, that started to occur to me when I was traveling a lot for work. I'd be in these small little cities or towns, wherever, all throughout the country. And you, and you always have them. You see those historical markers that are right by your house and you just drive right past right. them and never read them. But the people visiting are, are there taking pictures yeah. of them. You're like, what is that? Like there's so much around you that you're just not even noticing. Yeah, like you just notice. take it for granted or you don't yeah. take the time to even notice it. And, yeah. and if you're, if you're, if you are intentional about that, I think, you'll start to start being more in tune with that. So I think just getting outside and looking around and like being curious, right? Being inquisitive mm. about the world and start to say, Hey, what, what, like we have a big obelisk as you come in our neighborhood. I have no idea why it's there. Right. I, I speculate because this is Charlestown named after George Washington's brother. So it's, you know, an homage to the Washington Monument. but it made me, I'd driven past it 5,000 times. It never occurred to me like to think about it. And then I started reading about obelisks and what they mean and, they were like kind of the original sundials and all this cool stuff. And I'm like, like, like I wonder who of the thousands of people who live in this community have ever th- looked beyond just driving past it. Right. It's just the traffic circle to most of us. <laughs> it's the decoration so before the neighborhood. Yeah. That's how you kind of know. And if you're giving directions to somebody, look for the big thing and then turn, right? Like that's. <laughs> well, you hit uh, the thing you said about getting outside that, that kind of hits at the, what I was saying earlier that for me, the exercise is connected to mindfulness for me. There's a lot of that that goes on in my world now, which didn't used to, it was like, I just got to go pound the pavement and do what's hard. And now the, the fun of the hard thing is when it's raining ice, Hey, I'm going out there. Cause that's a hard thing. I might not be, you know, running a six minute mile for 10 miles, but I'm, doing something else that's hard. And that, that's the other thing I think is important. It's important for me as a person who wants to grow to feel like I'm doing something difficult. I have to, I have to have that challenge of, of something. I, I can't, I think, I think you and I were talking not long ago. I was, I'm building a trail on where I live. I, I'm five acres and it was just pissing rain one day and it was horrible, muddy and cold. And I'm like, I'm going out there. And I came in, you know, get some water at one point. I was like, what are you doing out there? Right. I'm just covered in mud and 
I was like, I wasn't cold because I was just working hard, right? I'm like, this is cool. And there's something to be said about doing hard things or things that feel hard, at least. Yeah. The sense of accomplishment when you're done, right? The like the, and I think, I think it just goes against how we're we're wired. Like I think we're wired to want comfort. Like I love my couch. I love my dog next to me. I love Netflix. I love high speed internet. Like, and and choosing to go camp in February in, in two feet of snow is, is it's intentionally choosing to not be in the comfort. Yeah. And what it what it forces you to do, like it won't last forever. But for at least a week or two, I'm really appreciative of how comfortable our bed is. Mm-hmm. I'm really appreciative of how warm it is in this house now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to lose sight of it, right? Like my kids don't yeah. appreciate the fact that the heat comes on because they weren't in the snow with us, That's right. right? Well, it gives you empathy, too, for someone who might be homeless living on a street somewhere. It's a little bit different when you see that guy on the side of the road, you know, asking for a couple of bucks or something. Um, like, hey, it's it's really yeah. bone-chilling cold out here. Yeah, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't get rest, and it was borderline miserable and I had a $300 sleeping bag, you know, so I can't imagine right. some cardboard. You know, when, yeah. When you got cardboard and rolled up newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other things from Boulder Crest that you want to, that you want to point out that were kind of really super meaningful for you? Other takeaways for other people? Yeah. I, I think there was some really interesting things. I think, I think the fact that we all had different backgrounds militarily, Right. Because not only do we do we branch ourselves together as veterans, but then we branch ourselves by service. Then we branch ourselves by our jobs or who was in special forces or who wasn't. And and I think what you realize is none of that nonsense matters. Like, yeah, like I said, we all have shared experiences. So I, I think the way that <clears throat> and part of the way I wanted to address my event this weekend was a little bit of building back up of that warrior spirit. And and a couple of the guys that were there um there's a lot of commonality, I think, in a lot of our struggles, right? The, especially when you leave service, that no longer being tethered to something bigger than you, that, that loss of sense of purpose. And I think they did a wonderful job of, of sort of building you back up, right? Saying, hey, listen, what you've done is, is recognizable and you are a warrior. And it doesn't matter if you're having struggles now, that's, you're not your diagnosis. And I think that applies to everybody, right? Like you're not, you're not an autistic child or you're not, you know, a dyslexic, like you, you, you are whatever you want to be. Like if don't be defined by a term, somebody else labeled you with, don't, don't allow that to happen. I think, I think they were re- really diligent in, in doing that. And I think they, they, they didn't, they told us some things, but really it was more leading you down the path to let you discover it. Right. And I, and I, I saw a thing recently on coaching and it was like a coach will may, may show you where to look, but doesn't necessarily tell you what to see. And that, yeah. I think they, they, they did a really good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that idea of I, I can get you to where the door is, but ultimately you have to walk through it. You're going to have to go through it yourself. Yeah. That's super yeah, it, powerful. Yeah, I, I, and I think, I think the other thing is just a lot of the things we've been talking about are not things that most of us grew up seeing either our parents or people that have trained us or people we've admired do like, these weren't things that were typically talked about. These weren't, you know, like I don't, I never saw my dad journal. I never, you know, maybe he did. Right. But well, it definitely didn't talk about these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, no one, no one ever talked about that in my, in my life uh, growing up. It wasn't a conversation that was had. um, And it certainly wasn't anything that anyone practiced. You didn't go, Hey, let's go out and get some exercise to, be better connected with 
our surroundings, right? We just didn't do it. And I think maybe that's a little bit of a cultural change it and is. a little bit of the message is it's okay to not be okay, right? And if and if you're a man and you're feeling the pressure of being a father or a husband, it's okay to not have it figured out. And if you're frustrated that you can't change your own tire, it's probably not your fault because nobody showed you how to do it. Yeah. And yeah. and and what they pointed out of Boulder Crest often was you, you nobody you didn't sign up for the military and then skydive two days later. Yes. Like yes. nothing that you did you did on your own. You did it as a process of training. And if you just look at all of these things as if you're training, right? I'm training my mind. I'm training my my body. I'm training my my spiritual life. I'm right. It's not, I'm not going for a run. I'm training, right? I'm 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 putting in the work to be better at these things. Like that's a little different spin on things. It's like, uh, you, you said something really interesting there. That whole This whole idea of training is super important, I think, because it, we could say, well, you, you, no one ever let you on the range to even walk the range without having training. Guess what? No one even let me buff the floor with one of those buffers without the training and the safety brief of the buffer. But here we are with our, our lives, and there's no training. So we have to go find that training, and we have to engage in that training. I think that's kind of what we're saying here, that... That at least for yeah. us, like we're working toward mastery by training and some experimentation and and you know some trial and error, but but it's still training. However you slice it, it's some still training. And I think that's what what's to me what's valuable of you know having met you at that time and having gone to Boulder Crest is that they that training was put in a in a pretty good package in a in a way that was a little bit more focused and it was it allowed me to get away from the trial and error. Because sometimes yeah, and we I was the first group that they put through that. Yes, like they and they've done it before. In their <laughs> right. Yeah, and that, to... that was part of my message to the men this weekend is we can sit around all day and complain about the things our parents didn't do for us or or, or like our fathers weren't. We have guys who, who never had a father, right? Father died at two weeks. And the question came up, well, is it better to have lived your whole life without a father or have a father that didn't model the right behavior for you or have, you know, a father that taught you the wrong things or a father that beat on you or... And at the end of the day, like it, you know, the, the, the takeaway was you're not responsible for any of those things that these people did to you or taught you or trained you that were wrong, but you're 100% responsible for doing something about it now. Yeah. Right. And, and most of us, I don't think are brought up that way. Most of us would rather continue to, to be in the victim yeah, mi mindset job. of it, right? Stay in that victim mentality. And then you get to be right. And you get to be the one who was wronged. But it doesn't change the circumstances. Yeah, for you. you're the you're in the exact same spot you were <laughs> before you started complaining. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that that brings up the, uh, this idea too that I've been playing around with a little bit of challenges. That challenges, these are I mean you, what you described as a challenge. These are some ch life's challenges, whatever they are. And and well, I heard someone say recently that challenges are neither good nor bad. They're just things that are, need to be overcome. They're just challenges. And yeah. so once you start directing your mind in that way. All right. This is something. All right. I see what you got. I'm going to, here's, I'm going to overcome it. I now start putting together a plan to do it, but it is easy to go like, Oh, this is happening to me. It's a challenge in your life. It's bad. Well, that's the, we can kind of go back to that good wolf, bad wolf type thing on your shoulder, right? Like the bad wolf's telling you you're a victim. You know, you can't, you won't, you never will be able to, as opposed to the choice of the choice you have. And really is Hey, I can, I will, I commit to change, I commit to doing it. That's this whole other side of it. And so I like that idea that the challenge is neither good nor bad. It's just something to be overcome. 
and I don't have to fear yeah, it no. at any point, right? Yeah, that's that's terrific. That's and, and what's interesting is when you start looking because the first thing I think people do when they want their lives to change, well, they start looking at successful people, right? And they say, "What's the secret to success?" And the reality is, it's not much of a secret. They all write books about it. It's not a secret at all, right? <laughs> and, and so you go, okay, well, if 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 ninety percent of the people who are most successful are, are journaling, then there, there's probably something to be said for that, right? Mm -hmm. But the one thing I think that 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 stuck with me was none of these people have superpowers, right? None of these people are any different than you or I. They put their pants on one leg at a time. They they have childhood issues too. They you know whatever it is, and the difference I think is, like you said, is changing your perspective, right? Seeing they not only see it as a challenge and embrace it, but like they're thankful for the challenge, yeah, right? Yeah. Or they're thankful for the struggle, or yes. they're 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 not afraid of failing. They're looking to fail faster than anybody else yeah. because if they fail 15 times, the 16th time is going to be yeah. their successful. That's, yeah. And those are the different people that are thriving. Like yeah. they, they are, they're trying to fail faster yeah. and the rest that, of us are afraid of it. Yeah, it represents growth, right? Some mm -hmm. degree it represents growth. We were, this is the exact conversation I was having with our kids at the end of practice. Last 15 minutes, body weight, front leaning rest, <laughs> a few push-ups, a few different positions. But the whole goal that I had for them, I didn't tell them this, was, for 10 minutes, they're just going to hold themselves up, right? In different positions, like no, no one get on the ground. And, and we were just going around having, I was having conversations with them where we were there trying to kind of just to divert their attention. Like, what's going through your mind right now? What, how, what are you thinking? Like, oh, one of those, like, oh, God. You know, like, all right. I just so want to kneel down. Yeah. So let's reframe that, right? And this is, this is the, the thing that you and I are talking about is that no one's ever trained us this. And so I saw that as my, as my job as a coach to train these kids. All right. So is what is this pain is this like a bone sticking out of your arm no it's not that kind of pain is this a little bit of pain of muscular pain well what's going to happen from that muscular pain you're going to get stronger you're already stronger because we've been doing this every practice right and then we ended and and so i was just trying to get them to go to this this place in their head of all right coach you you're telling me i got to be here you tell me to switch positions I got it. No problem. Just to get that negative thought out of their head. And so when we were done. I said, all right, how long did you guys think you, you held yourself up there in, in front leaning rest? And so we had some modifications to it, but well, five minutes, four minutes, six minutes. Well, it was actually 11 minutes and you know, it was almost double what they thought. I'm like, so what you're capable of is so much more. And that wasn't that hard, right? It really wasn't that hard. I didn't see anyone going into muscular failure. I didn't see any shaking arms, any craziness. Yeah, going. nobody died. Yeah, no rhabdo. There no, were yeah. there were some like uh, uh, moanings, and then when I heard the moaning, I would stop. Okay, what are you thinking? What's in your head? And they they were, they were trying to like figure out what's he, why is he asking us these questions? What's I don't he getting like at? <laughs> That's right. We're but, just not comfortable uh, being uncomfortable. Yeah, but then right? like, that was the point. The point was just to get them to think about. Okay, this is what I'm saying to myself why I'm saying it. I just need to reframe that a little bit. And I'm getting stronger from this. This is better. And that gets to what you were saying, right? Like they see it as a challenge. Challenges are made to be overcome. It's neither good nor bad. They're just, that's how they're growing. And they see it as a growth opportunity. You know, the more you fail, the more, you know, and you, and you might find, get something in serendipity and you, you know, like, oh, I found a better way to do it. Not only did I fail, but I found like the holy grail of whatever it is you're working on to get it, to do it right. And that, like for me, with my background, my military background, spending the time in the SEAL teams, that's probably the most common answer when people ask, "What's what was the difference, right? And the difference was it's a group of people, the one, some of the common personality traits that you see most often is they were willing to make themselves uncomfortable, right, where other people weren't, just so they could do something basic, a basic skill, 
a fundamental skill. Let me do this so, so often that I'm a ninja at it. Now let me do it in an uncomfortable position. Now let me do it while I'm cold. Now let me do it while I'm wet. Now let me do it upside down. Now let me do it. And, and what everybody else does, they come in and they're like, well, can you teach us how to shoot upside down, hanging from a helicopter? I'm like, let's start with how to hold the gun. Like, Only let's not... the, the basics. Yeah, you know, and the, the people that were the best just did the basics better. Like, yeah. because, you know, we started with that. But they were, they were willing to be uncomfortable. They forced themselves to be uncomfortable. And the other thing is they were always willing to do whatever it took to just get the slightest little competitive edge. And, and if you apply that in your life, like you don't need to make, like, I think we all want to make this 180 change. And, and like I, I referenced the P90X, like you don't work out for 10 years and then all of a sudden you're going to do P90X. Like that's a massive, robust undertaking. And no wonder a high percentage of people are going to fail. You don't need to do that. Like, can you do one thing? Can you work out for five minutes today? Like you said, can you go for a walk outside for 15 minutes? Like if you just improve 1% each day, well, at the end of the year, you're going to be so exponentially so much better than you were. Like, mm-hmm. We all bite off more than we could chew because it seems awesome. Like yeah. that's a more audacious task, right? Like I, I totally can run a marathon. I'm like, but you've never run a 5K. Like, why would you, you know, like? How would you go there? And the Navy SEAL is a great example of it. Like, we all want to sign up. Like, I'm gonna do it like a Navy SEAL does. I'm like, but why would you do that? Like, I'm a 51 year old guy with three torn ACLs. Like, I probably shouldn't be on a Navy SEAL training regimen at this point in my life. That's right. That doesn't make sense. That's not good for me. But uh, this idea of the basics is so important. And uh, like over the years when I've talked to, you know, like very elite basketball players, elite endurance athletes, whomever. And I have asked this question, like, what does it take? Like, what is it? Why? What's the what's the thing? It is mastery of the basics. And even when I was changing careers and going into like a cybersecurity, I was getting a master's degree in that. And there were there were guys just guy we called cyber Jesus. Everyone knew him. He was just like the guru. And I took him out to lunch one day and I'm like, Hey man, what is it? Like, what are the things I need to know to be, I'm never going to be like you, but to get there, what do I need to do? He's like, just master the basics. These five basic things, just master them. That's, that's it. If you just do these things, everything else will come, right? Cause you're, and then you can start to leverage creativity or like you said, shoot from a different position just but because you have that foundation, that really fundamental thing, and that even even toward exercise, you know, the basic is just walking. <laughs> like, just it's even it's even the basic exercise of the soldier, right? We're just rucking. That's the basic fundamental skill. So if you can do that in your wellness program, great. If you can't do anything else, you can only walk. That's a really good thing to master. And and if it's a half a mile, it's a half a mile further than you walked yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. You only need to be comparing yourself to your former self, like nobody else and nothing else. And it doesn't mean you don't have to set lofty goals, and it doesn't mean you can't attain, you know, great success or go run a marathon. But, you know, start with, with something. Start with a digestible bite before you, you know, try to eat the whole elephant. You said something that was interesting, too, about you, you just have to kind of, you're competing with yourself here. And that reminds me of uh, when I was right out of graduate school and I was coaching at the University of Arizona. I was doing some coaching there uh, and I was coaching some uh, professional athletes and then at a community college. And I had a group of runners that I was working with and they were all a college runner. So the difference between the freshman runner and the senior runner was quite a bit. It was four years, a guy just coming out of high school and a guy now getting ready to you know, go off in his, his own career. He's had four years of running. And the way the coaches set up their training was he had a couple days where they would, this is their main running coach. He, 
he would just send them out. Okay, you guys run out there, and then you run out two miles and come back two miles, right? And it was a sort of this, it was one of their workouts. And there was all this emphasis that was put on who's going to be the first person back, right? And so I ended up having a couple of training classes with them, mental toughness classes about that, <laughs> about that concept. Because the freshmen were coming back def- completely defeated, right? They couldn't hang with these senior runners because they just had all this experience on them. But they weren't realizing over, you know, a semester's time that they had dropped a minute from that four-mile time. Yeah. Like, that's a tremendous success, right? And then I turned to the, the seniors. I'm like, you're, you're not pushing yourself. You're doing just enough to beat these guys. You, like, your potential is so much greater, but all you're doing is just enough to be the first person back here. You're never going to reach your potential. And yeah, so you're comfortable ha- winning, but you're not growing. Yes, yeah. yes. And so I think that that whole concept of you have to compare yourself to yourself, and that's who you, where you need to be pushing for. You said it earlier, 1% better every day. If you're only at 30% and then 1% better every day, well, guess what? In like a couple of months, you're rocking. <laughs> Yeah. 1% is a lot if you're consistent. Yeah, that's huge. Where, where my struggle is, is not doing what you do, which is spending the time and investing the time taking stock at the end of the day. What did today teach me? Mm. What could I have done better? What, right? Like, cause just, just having positive practices is great. Right. But if you're not measuring it, right. What you, you can't improve what you don't measure. You can't, you have to, yeah. there has to be a way. I don't, I don't know that I'm that great at it. Um, I, I don't, it's not like I'm measuring it and I probably should do a better job of doing that, but I, I do use a fitness tracker. So I do some, I do in terms of my fit, physical wellness, I'm, I'm always geeking out about the numbers, right? Like how much is my, has my anaerobic threshold changed? Is it getting any better? I'm a, I mean, you know, I've got the anaerobic threshold of a 37 year old. Well, that's great. Cause I'm 51. Um, but I will, I will say that the journaling at the end of the day, that sort of taking stock of things is helpful for me mentally. Cause it kind of, it helps me appreciate what I did do for the day. Right. And I started, I played around with this a little bit. I started using this acronym BMW, like, what do I need to do better? What do I, um, what do I need to do more of? And then W was my win, right? We talk about wins all the time. So I had, you know, what was it? What my day starts with what I'm grateful for. I use BMW in the middle and then I have something I just call life. I just write about what I did with my kids or something that happened. You know, we built, something or we, we had a conversation in the car about girls because <laughs> now I'm on this mission with my ki- with my boys especially there's a conversation we had like I I need to start teaching them positive interactions with women all right with girls what's normal what's not normal um, and how they're and getting them to realize how they're perceived when they're having a conversation and and that there's the situational things that happen right you when you're with your friends your buddies you talk a certain way, I get it. And you, when you're in a different crowd, you talk a different way. And just having a, an emotional maturity and awareness of what that, what that is and who's around you because people hear, people hear those conversations. And so I've been on this path re- recently to try and have a little more intention with my kids, <laughs> with my boys of how to do that. And how they're responding well to that? Um, it's uncomfortable. My kids would be upset that, that I'm not letting them just put their headphones in and be on the phone. <laughs> I have to, well, I have to find the right time. So my younger son, it's easy because I'm in the car with him a little bit more. My older son, it's when he's outside doing pull-ups or he's out doing, so I can kind of like stumble into the area, right? Um, but it, it's, it is, I have to be very intentional with that and gentle, right? I can't be like, hey, hey, I'm going to, I would never do this. Hey, I need to talk to you about something. Yeah. It's about girls. 
sit down. That's it. It's over. <laughs> the day I have to weave it into the conversation somewhere, right? And it's not easy. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. No, but I think that's terrific, right? And I think that that lines up with a lot of things that we talk about, which is the uh, looking at the end result as opposed to just rushing into it, right? Like thinking about being creative and 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 one of the the comfort comp excuse me one of the common conversations this weekend at the man camp was one of the conversations we're not having because we're uncomfortable with them right and and we wind up avoiding them right we're either conflict averse right we don't want to have it or we just hope this will clean itself up and i just something else will be will spike that's way more important around here Right. And I won't go have this conversation with, with my teenager about sex or I won't go have this conversation with my wife about whatever, because I'm not good at it. Right. I'm not good at yeah. talking about yeah. those. <laughs> None like of you us give are. yourself permission to not do something you're supposed to do yeah. under the guy. Well, nobody's good at it. Nobody, yeah. nobody gets up in the morning. It's like, I really like to have a great talk with my 16 year old about sex today because I'm, I'm fabulous at that. That's what I do. <laughs> You know, what are those things, right? And and again, if if what we're talking about from a growth standpoint is stepping into the uncomfortability and pushing the boundaries of what you're comfortable with, like you have to do those things. You know, you have to be intentional and say, okay, I'm I'm gonna talk to them. I'm gonna they, they may not love it or I, I there's a thousand other things I may would rather be doing, but but I'm gonna do it, right? It's it's a non-negotiable. Yeah, so important. Anything that I haven't asked you today that you want to share with folks? Just, you know, the one thing as I've moved forward, you know, with the man up project stuff and which you can find us with a man up project.com. Um, what I've tried to do is go back to the time when I was really struggling and I knew I needed some help, but I couldn't find it. I'm trying to re recreate what did I need? Right. And, and make that available to people so that somebody else who's headed down that path can 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 reach out and go, OK, here's something I can latch on to. And and you had alluded to the, you know, changing your circle. Right. Like elevating your peer group is, is the way I, it was a phrase to me. Well, once that became obvious to me, I was willing to do it. Right. Because I got to the point where I was willing to try anything, but I didn't know how to do that. Right. And I always use the example like I'm a 50 year old man. Like it's not it's not a matter of sitting with different kids at the lunchroom anymore. How do I, how do I, my friends are my mm -hmm. friends. Like, how do I elevate my peer group yeah. at this point in my life? Like I had to actively go out and, and find people like yourself or people that are more the way I desire to be. Yeah. And whatever that is, like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, get in a room full of entrepreneurs. If you want to be a salesman, start having lunch with salespeople, right? Start mm -hmm. like surround yeah. yourself with what you want to become. Um, and the conversations will change from that point. And so that's kind of what, really what I want to create it. Like, Hey, if, if you're feeling like, I think most of us are just busy checking boxes and living life and, yeah. and it slips by and it's easy to say, well, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband, but I've been married 30 years and I, somehow I wasn't magically just turning into a better husband. Right? <laughs> like I just thought it would yeah, come to me. Someday, right. It know? wasn't a page you turn you know? and then, Oh, here's the better husband chapter. I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so I think what we're, what I'm trying to build with, with the help of a lot of amazing men is, just a place where if you're feeling like you're stuck or you're feeling like you're the only one, you're not, right? Like, and, and, and here's a place where you can come. Here's a way you can surround yourself with other men. Here's a way you can get involved in a conversation, share to the level you're comfortable with. Nobody's going to expect you to, to bear all if you're not comfortable with that. But at least every time somebody else shares, everybody else goes, wow, thanks for saying that because I felt that way too. Or, yeah. or, man, I thought I was the only one. Or, 
right? And, and just in, have some intentionality in your life to, to put yourself in a room or in a Zoom room or whatever it is or on a phone call where you're talking about something more than just the score of the game or golf or whatever it is. Right? Deeper whatever. conversation, like, yeah. Plenty, there's plenty of time for that everywhere else in life. Um, and, and I think you'll start to see the fruits of your labor. I think if, you, if more people were to do that, right? If, Transformational. It has been for me. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more with that. How, if, if someone was interested in signing up for Man Camp, what would they, where do they need to go? What do they need to do? Yeah, we are. They can can put, the, I'll put the website in the show notes, but. Yeah, cool. Themanupproject.com. Um, right now you'll see the sign up for the one that just passed. I think our next one will be in May, so it certainly will be warmer. We don't plan on going someplace where there's snow. Um, <laughs> Although that's cool. And we're going to make, yeah, yeah, it, it was cool. It was, uh, but yeah, it, it, we'll put together some testimonials and look, it, it's a chance to, to get around incredible men. And what's funny is everybody there was like, oh man, the guys that were there were incredible. And I'm like, people are incredible. Like yeah. the only reason you think they're incredible is because you spent time listening to their story. Yes. And if yes. we bring enough people in the room, you'll, you'll, you'll see that you're yes. incredible, right? You just, you're the only one who doesn't understand that yet. So, you know, so yeah, the next one will be in May. And then the other thing we've got, we've got phone calls, which anybody can jump on. And there's information on the website about that. We've got individual coaching. Um, and for me, that was another big piece of it, right? Like I started to see when I had, a life coach, which is something to me that was a foreign concept. Like, and as a guy who played sports his whole life, right? Like, wait, I had a coach for everything else. Why, why would it be different for me in right. business or right. whatever else? Um, just somebody that that's able to kind of inspire you and lead you. And, and that, like I said, that's part of the message, right? Is, is if, if you don't have somebody in your life, that's modeling what it's supposed to look like for you, then find one. Right. They're out there. There are good men out there. There are authentic men out there. There are successful entrepreneurs, whatever it is you want to be. Somebody's already out there doing it. And if you just ask, they'll probably yeah. warmly welcome you into whatever their tribe is. And same with us. If you want to be around other men, you want to be around veterans. We have a veterans and first responder call. We have um, mastermind groups where we meet once a week and the conversations. And it's just a chance to to vent and have your own personal board of directors. So and it, it's frankly, it's invaluable, at least from my perspective. Right? I'll attest to that. Uh, I would have never thought that I would do something like that. I, ne I, I never even conceptualized it. Right. Um, uh, when I was trying to grow, I would find people and then invite them to coffee or lunch or something like that and try and pick their brain and just like, I'm going to try and drain as much as I can here. And hopefully, and I always felt like, Oh, I'm going to make this, I don't want to infringe on this person any bit more. And, and there's enough people out there. I have, there's a guy in my life that was a former boss of mine. He's a, he's, he's not much, I actually think he's my age, but he's so much more wise <laughs> than I am. I go to him for a lot of stuff and he's always been this person just said, Hey, just call me right? Just reach out. And so I try to do that same thing. There's a lot of kids at, at Utica College that, that, that went to the criminal justice program there that know, know where I work because I leave that door open and just, just ping me and I'm happy to answer any questions. You shouldn't go through this process of trying to get into law enforcement or some other thing without knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And I'm happy to help you answer any questions. you have. So I'm happy to do it. And I'm kinda, it was kind of foolish of me to think that someone else wasn't happy to do it for me to be in that same kind of relationship. And that this idea that, that it happens in a group, it's so powerful when it's five, six other guys, you know, kind of going around Robin and then you learn, 
you you take away as much as you as much as you give there. It is so powerful. So thank you for organizing those because I would have. I would never done it. Now I'm thinking to myself, like, I need to do the same thing. I know, like, there's people I'm talking to, like, hey, would you be interested in doing a call? <laughs> doing a call? And the hardest part is convincing them to just come in, right? Because it's foreign to them. It's not something we typically do. It's not, like, wait, yeah. What is it? What are we doing? What, yeah. Just what get on the call. Yeah, yeah, just, just get on the call and you'll come back. Right? Yes. That's the, but, you know, that's the, and, and it's funny because you, you coach, right? And you, we always say, I get just as much out of this as I give. I learn just as much as I teach. Well, that speaks exactly to what you just said. If you're out there and you're struggling, reach out to somebody because you're offering them an opportunity to share with you what they've learned and that helps them validate and justify their struggle, right? That helps them understand their past and their path. They're, they want to help and it helps them to help you, but they can never help you if you don't ask for the help. Absolutely. And there's no shame in that, right? There's, there's We're not supposed to do this together. The, 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 the worst term on the planet to me is a self-made man. I don't think there's any... I don't think there's such a thing. And I used to try to try to ascribe to be one. I want to be a self-made man. And I'm like, no, I don't. I, I want to be a man that, that has partnerships and I want to be a man that learns from other people. And I want to be a man that has a tribe supporting me so that when I can't do it, somebody else can. Yeah. The last thing in the world I ever want to be is a self-made man. Yeah, that I almost was, implies I was a like self-destructing man. Yeah, that's, that's, it kind of leaves this impression like you're the only one. You got to the top of the mountain by yourself. Self-made it, right? Man. That's absurd. You know, summiting that peak is much better when there's a tribe with you, right? When you can share in that experience. Yeah, and that's the old, if you want to go fast, go by yourself, right? But if you want to go far, go with a group. Oh, that's really good. I haven't heard that. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, I, I, I'd rather go far. Yeah. I, I, I've spent my life going fast, right? <laughs> yeah, that and, sums up and, my and, life. And, and most, of the, most of the breakthroughs and the milestones came when I stopped doing that. Yeah. Right? The first time somebody told me, go run for an hour, I'm like, in a row? What, what do you mean? Why would I do that? I can just run as fast as I can and be done in eight minutes. Why would I not do that? I can cut right through there. Yeah. Slow down and let it come to yeah. you and, it, and, and just ask. Like you don't have to do any of this by yourself. There are some amazing men out there and we've got a bunch of them in our groups and a bunch of them in our tribes that want and are willing to help you and probably share a lot of similarities to whatever your background is. Yeah. Yeah, and as a side note to at least one of the groups that I'm in with you, um, I was having like a home problem, right? A home question. I know one of the guys in the group is like, he he like does remodeling of homes. So I'm like, hey, Bill, can I just get his number? So I called him, I was like Tuesday. I'm like, hey, could, Zoom called him. I'm like, can you just look at this thing at my house here? Does this look right to you? And it was just a quick, I would have had to go out and find someone else and get another contract to come in. But that group just serves as, and, and it was a, a small moment of time when I'm like, do I really want to bother him with this? I don't know if I should bother him with this. He's like, whatever, man, I'm available right now. If he had right a law now. enforcement question, he would ping you and, exactly. and he would say, yes. I don't want to bother this guy. Like, yeah. And you're like, dude, uh, please. Yeah. Like, I'd love to share my knowledge with you. And that, that's the value in networking, right? That's the value in in us coming together as a, as a tribe and, and having, you know, we, we're, we're so much stronger. And that, that's that mastermind principle. It goes back to the Napoleon Hill thing. One plus one equals three, right? Not just two. It's not just the two of us. It's collectively now yeah. we're so much more. Yeah, very good. And, and frankly, that some of these groups are great. They'd be much better if you would join us, whoever you are. Yeah. Get in here. Share yes. your experiences. Yes. Share your information. You have so much to offer. And when guys aren't there and when guys miss the calls or guys miss the meetings, we're like, you, you, you're a we're not the same without you. Mm -hmm. 
Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's not what you would have gotten. It's what you would have given mm-hmm. that helps us immensely. And in that, you get something. Yeah. You know what I love about that, too, is when someone doesn't show up and you don't know, like, everyone's immediately concerned. Like, hey, where has anyone heard from Joe? You know, it was probably me yeah. this morning because I was hey, sleeping. Somebody text to make sure he's okay. Right? Yeah. yeah, let's just check on him. But it gives you that sense of community, right? That there's, it's a deeper, it's deeper conversations with people. And that's a deeper sense of community with those people. And that is, that's, that is a back to a mental wellness practice, right? That's, it's, it's important to have that sense that, because if you're going it alone, it's awfully lonely. It is. It is. And and your, your struggle is meant for you to triumph over, but you you need to share your struggle, right? You need to. If you're suffering silently, that's that's the worst kind of suffering. Yeah, for sure. All right, brother. Thank you very much. Thank I you. I look forward bro. to having you back on the podcast. We'll talk about some other I've got some other things I want to dive into. And maybe as you get closer to the May uh man up camp, maybe we could um have another very cool. Week. We'll have more details. Yeah. We, like I said, yeah. I think we, we just about have a weekend locked in late May. We don't have a venue yet, but like I said, it this one was eleven. They're all coming back, they're all bringing friends. And it's an opportunity yeah, to that's gonna make like a, a transformational change in your life, right? Yeah. If something needs to change, right? Everybody wants something to change, but they're not willing to make changes, right? So if something needs to change in your life and you're looking for something to be a catalyst, this can be it. And if not, just, like I say, go to the website, jump on a phone call, listen. And if you want to chime in, most people show up and say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not, this isn't my thing. I'm not going to talk, but <laughs> we've got a place for you. But you know, that's not true. Everyone talks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Thanks Thanks so much, man. All right, take care. This is the Foxhole Podcast.